single Sunday message and in one aspect you could think, oh, you know, it's easy, the same message every year, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In another sense, it could be kind of difficult so you don't sound redundant every year preaching the same message. Um, although it is the power of the cross and the resurrection. That is why we gather together today. That is why we worship Jesus Christ. That is um, why we're able to rejoice in our salvation. You know, today is, um, or this week as I was studying, you know, we're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ through the eyes of Mary Magdalene on that resurrection morning um, through the eyes of Mary Magdalene. And I'm um, in John. So we're going to go ahead and turn in your Bible to John chapter 20. Um, but I'm going to give you a couple other verses first. Um, that's going to be Luke 8, verse 2. And also John 19, verse 25. And so we're going to be looking at the different circumstances, the emotions of Mary Magdalene leading up to the time of the cross and to the time when she saw her resurrected Savior. Um, in Luke chapter 8, in verse 2, the Bible says, A certain woman which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of him went seven devils. Okay, these people were following and serving with Jesus um, now. But Mary Magdalene before had seven devils, seven demonic spirits, possess her and influence her, affecting even her decision making. And so now that she had been healed, of her infirmities and of her demonic possession, no doubt there was a sense of gratitude for being free of demonic possession. And I've seen it, I've seen it, you know, I've seen people, you know, oftentimes, not all the time, but many times, it begins through the avenue, the gateway of drugs, uh, being able to take over uh, one's sobriety and their mind, and it kind of gives an opening um, for demonic spirits. And uh, when you see someone come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and how they're able to be made free of that, and the gratitude, the, the thankfulness they have to have a new life in Jesus Christ. We all know all of the sins of Mary Magdalene, but we know there have been many with her having been possessed with seven devils. And so she's been healed of them. And so she followed Jesus. She followed Jesus. She served um, with him. We see that she even went all the way to the point of grieving at the cross of Calvary as Jesus is being executed. Remember all the other disciples save John had gone and forsaken. Peter followed afar off for a while, not from the distance, but denied even knew him three times. You see, um, the apostle John, um, he stayed steadfast, he was there. All the disciples, other disciples, were nowhere to be found. But we see Mary Magdalene went all the way to the cross of Calvary, with Jesus, as far as being present. In John 19, verse 25, it says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother 
and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. Three Marys here. You got Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary, her sister. Um, I always thought it'd be kind of odd. Um, normally, if it was your correct sister that was named the same name, but this looks like this uh, his mother's sister. Um, Mary, the wife of Cleophas. So that odd that kind of have a sister with the same name. Maybe they had a different middle name of some sort. But then there was also Mary Magdalene, the one who had seven devils, but was killed. And they were cast out. They're grieving into death of the one. They gave her a new life. They gave her a new hope. Gave her a life worth living and you're grieving into sight of him being crucified. It's one thing to be sorrowful when you lose a loved one. It takes it to a whole other level when you are watching them being executed. And you're not watching them out of joy like any of the others are, but in despair. And being heartbroken and seeing your Savior being crucified. Many think, and maybe this is what's been in your mind, but many often assume that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. The portrayal of Mary Magdalene as a prostitute didn't begin, though, until 591 AD. When Pope Gregory I confused and conflated Mary Magdalene, found in Luke 8 2, um, with the Mary of Bethany in Luke 10 39, and the unnamed sinful woman who anointed Jesus' feet in Luke 7 36 and 50. That's the first we ever hear or see of Mary Magdalene being possibly a harlot, a prostitute. But that's nowhere found in Scripture. That which is confusing one Mary with another Mary with someone else that is unnamed. In 1969, Pope Paul IV removed the identification of Mary Magdalene with the Mary of Bethany and the sinful woman from the general Roman liturgical calendar. But the view of her being a former prostitute has persisted in popular culture. But then again, yet there is nothing in Scripture that speaks of her being such. Is it possible? Sure. Is it possible that she ran a carnival? Sure. No. But there's nothing in Scripture that says anything of this sort that calls her a prostitute. Is it possible? Sure. But the logic of assuming that she was was flawed, a flawed understanding of who was who in the Bible. And so as we want to be careful that we gather what we believe in from Scripture and Scripture alone. Now there may be some things, you know, that we maybe see or hear in history, or maybe it's been some tradition or from some early writings, but we need to recognize that, okay, that those may be some possibilities, but it's not thus say of the Lord. And so what were her sins? I don't know. That could have been one of them, but there's again, there's nothing in Scripture that says that's what it was, but she was under great demonic influence. 
Not one, two, or three demons, but seven demons tormented her life. And you can only really compare other scriptures with others that were demon-possessed. You know, you have the madman, you know, that you know, he was able to break the chains that he would have said, or um, he was cutting and gnashing of teeth and, and just out of his mind. You know, we don't see the full backstory of what she went through, but you will get other examples in Scripture when they were tormented by devils, and it wasn't pretty at all. They were literally tormented by them. You know what's interesting about the first visitors of that empty tomb, it was woman that went there first. Not the apostles, not the other men that followed Jesus, but it was the ladies. They went there three days later to anoint the body of Jesus with some sweet spices. Perhaps some of them, maybe they remember Jesus said he would be risen again, but according to what's written, it just appears that they were going there with the plan to anoint a dead body. Anything that Jesus had said about his resurrection is not mentioned by them at all. So we see in John 20, verse 1, it says, The first day of the week come of Mary Magdalene, early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and see of the stone taken away from the sepulchre here early in the morning. Well, it is yet dark. No doubt filled with anxiety. Filled with grief. Was it only to see the tomb that she came? Was there possibly restlessness about her feelings that some unusual things might happen? After all, Jesus did say over and over that he would rise again the third day. Perhaps in their mind, they're like, is that even possible? Perhaps in grief, though that never even came to mind, that the words that Jesus spoke came to anoint the dead body. And we see that she comes. And says so she, she doesn't come to the tomb and go, oh, he's risen, he's not here. No, she comes disappointed. Where is he? What happened? And maybe the guards take him? Is someone else still his body? All kinds of things could have been writing through our mind. But we do see which is written in verse 2. It says, Then she run him and come unto Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. He's talking about John the Apostle writing about himself in the third person. And he said unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Total distraught, disappointed, came to honor her respect, to show her appreciation. You know what? Sometimes we fail to understand that our disappointments might be God's appointment. Our disappointments might be God's divine appointment for our life. And then when we can get to the point where we learn to live by faith in difficult circumstances, 
But Lord, you're in control. Lord, you're sovereign. You know what's best. In this case, it certainly was the case. Here she was in search for a dead Jesus, and she finds but an empty grave. She's disappointed that he's missing. She thought that someone must have taken him away to an undisclosed location. But yet this was God's divine appointment that he would be living again. The Psalms talk about how he would not, that the Holy One would not see corruption. Isaiah talks about how he would suffer and that he would be put to death. But then he would live again in Isaiah 53. We see that Peter and John then go and visit the tomb after Mary Magdalene alerts them about the grave being empty. Verse 3 says, Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. Was that interesting how this written? John's like, okay, Peter took off. But that other disciple got there quicker. He got there faster. He's writing about himself. This is John writing. Just wants us to know, he got there faster. Oh, the woman got there quicker. But, you know, after they were alerted, he's like, I got there quicker. He says, and he's stooping down and looking in. Saw the linen clothes, like, yet went he not in. So first John comes, Enters in, looks, perhaps he's a little bit frightened, doesn't go in right away, but in here now Peter gets to take that trophy and says, I went in first. But I see Peter goes in, then come with Peter, following him, and went into the sepulchre, and see him the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. Here John reveals the moment when he believed. Wow. You know, and he's risen. You know, he's not just missing. He's alive again. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he was rising in it from the dead. Case at a time he didn't know, but then he believed. And he risen. Then the disciples went away unto their own home. So meanwhile, the disciples, okay, they see John, he believes. This doesn't really say much about Peter, but then they go home. Okay, the tomb's empty, and they go home. Perhaps thinking about it, perhaps pondering it, perhaps just moving on. But you know what? Mary stood at the sepulchre weeping with sorrow. Peter and John and her report ran together to the sepulchre, looked in, returning into their own home. But Mary stood, is one bound to the, that tomb by the cords of love. She was there. She wanted to know where the Messiah was. So overcome with sorrow, 
domestics of the angels did it in a register in her mind and refers. Verse 11 it says, But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and see of two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, for the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And then go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 24, and we see a little bit more detail that happens right after this. Luke 24, in verse 4. Says and it came to pass, as they were much per as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, and as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto him, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and returned from the sepulchre, and told all these things unto eleven, and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, and Joanna, and Mary the brother of James, and another woman that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. Okay, so before Mary Magdalene goes off and takes off with the message, we see that Mary hears from the angel. Why is he the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. But in her sorrow, it appears that it did not even register what they had said. We see back in John 20, verse 14, we see that she has a mistaken identity about someone she perceives to be a gardener. In verse 14, it says that when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus said, when you're a woman, why weepest thou? Who seekest thou? She supposed him to be the gardener, saying unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him his, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. The angels already told her that he's risen. She completely misses him. And she asks this man, who happens to be Jesus, but she does not yet know that yet. She's like, if you know where he's at, if you put him elsewhere, he let me know, and I'll take him away. So even in the resurrection, Jesus had human flesh, although glorified. But why did she not recognize him? Perhaps she was absorbed in thought and grief. She was blind to any outward appearance. Perhaps she had blurred vision from weeping. From crying all morning? Maybe the vivid memories of Jesus' bruised and broken body were still etched in her mind, and <clears throat> Jesus' resurrected appearance was so dramatically different 
Does she fail to recognize him? Perhaps, however, like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, she was maybe supernaturally prevented from recognizing him until he chose for her to recognize him. All kinds of different possibilities. But we see in verse 16 that she discovers Jesus. There's a discovery. Jesus said unto her, Mary, Call us her name. Do you think there's just some garment there that she doesn't know? But then this man knows her name. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabbana, which is to say, Master. Master. Her eyes were open. Now she realized the message the angels spoke to her. The words of Jesus caught her attention. Sunk deep into her heart. He called her by her name. You know, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. You know, and no one ever sees the Lord Jesus Christ ever finds, no one who ever seeks the Lord ever finds a dead or powerless Savior. We see with boldness, she began to reach for Jesus. Perhaps it was falling down at his feet. Perhaps it was to try and give an embrace. All we see is Jesus saying, touch me not. Verse 17, Jesus said, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father, and your Father, and to my God, and your God. And this was perhaps at first a little disappointment to her again. It's her love and heart. But another lesson to her that she must learn to walk by faith, and not by sight, and not by touch. No mortal hand was allowed to touch him who died as the sinner's substitute until he had presented himself to his father for acceptance as our Redeemer and High Priest. And we see shortly after this, afterwards, every doubting Thomas was invited to thrust his hand into his side that he might fill the mark left by the spear in his side. Jesus says shortly thereafter, see, see my hands, see, see my wounds, put your hand in here. His Thomas said, except I see him, I will not believe. Jesus gave him a lesson. You believe because you've seen, but blessed is he that believes and has not seen. That blessed is he or she that has faith. But at this moment, Jesus said, don't touch me not yet. And he ascends to the Father and comes back down and lives among the people for another 40 days. See, Mary Magdalene was quick to faith and quick to obey. In verse 18, it says, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. You know, you, you read John's word here. 
under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But we say John wrote of himself that he was that disciple who Jesus loved. You know, at first, when I read that, I thought, you know, that was kind of arrogant, always talking to himself about that disciple who Jesus loved. You know, he wasn't saying that Jesus didn't love any of the other disciples. Maybe it was now more just soaking in that, wow, I was one that Jesus loved. He wrote that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed upon him should have everlasting life, that he should not perish, but have everlasting life. So he said, he loves the world. In his epistles, he says that he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And so John constantly wrote of the love that God had for everybody. But he made a personal for himself and wrote of himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved. It was personal for him. And we see things in another level or a different level with Mary Magdalene. She was surely that disciple who preeminently loved Jesus. She had been healed of the, her demonic possession. She didn't just go to a funeral. She went to where he was being executed. And after he was buried, she went to go see him in the tomb. Of course, he wasn't there. But perhaps she loved so much because she had been forgiven much, whatever her sins may have been. You know, Jesus spoke about how oftentimes that those to whom little is forgiven, love of little. But to whom much is forgiven, love of much. That someone that has been forgiven of great sin in their life, and to have that burden lifted through forgiveness, through redemption, that she was able to um, just really fathom the love of Christ and to pour love back to him. May we likewise recognize what Jesus had done for us. You know, we look at the Apostle Paul as one of the greatest Christians in history, but he saw himself as the chief of sinners. You know, his life, how it began, or at least his religious life, um, and he ended up having Christians persecuted. And up having them put to death. No wonder he looked at himself as the chief of sinners. May we all look at ourselves as the chief of sinners. That we have a need, we have the need for a Savior. That we need forgiveness of our sins. We see Mary recognized that she was a sinner. She knew that out of her seven devils had come. The Resurrection Sunday wasn't about Mary Magdalene, but it was about what she witnessed. Jesus had indeed risen again from the grave, and he offers his salvation. Not just to Mary Magdalene, but to the world. They'll receive it. 
And salvation was not about an emotional experience. No doubt this was very emotional for Mary. She saw Jesus crucified. Saw the empty tomb and at first wondering where did they still his body. But then to see him face to face and to see that he was forever alive again. No doubt lots of emotions ran through her body. Ran through her mind. But an emotional experience does not bring salvation. Salvation isn't about our works. It's not about what we do. You know, if we were able to earn salvation by our works, you know, Paul says, you know what, then grace is no more grace. That, you know, if Jesus would have died in vain, you know, if there was no need for him to die, there, there would be no need for him to die and to rise again if we could just save ourselves by our works. Now, the Bible says if there is a law that, uh, of righteousness that could get life, surely righteousness would be by the law. But the law concluded that all were guilty, that all are sinners. And therefore, there was no law someone could get saved. Because all are condemned, all are guilty. But yet Jesus came not to condemn, but to seek and to save that which was already condemned, that which was lost. And so salvation is not about having some kind of emotional or religious experience, and it's not about our works, it's not about coming to church, it's not about getting baptized. You know, you look at the thief on the cross, whom Jesus said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He never got down and got baptized. He never went to church in his life. But he believed. He had faith in Jesus in the sense. Recognized himself as a sinner. And Jesus told him today, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. Didn't have time to be religious, so to speak. But it was that faith. Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. <coughs> Salvation is all of God's grace through faith in believing the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10. Romans 10. Verse 9 says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Nothing about works. The only work that needed to be done was the work that Jesus did. Dying for us and having victory over the grave in his resurrection. But have you confessed with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And as verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation wasn't restricted just to the apostles. It wasn't just given an offer to Mary Magdalene. But it's offered to the world. 
So we have a time of invitation, have an altar call us, go ahead and stand as the uh, music goes ahead and in place in the background. I don't know how the message maybe has impacted you, your heart, or maybe it's some in here that don't know Jesus. It's your Savior. And you don't know if you were to die today, if heaven would be your home. Let's all stand, let's all arise. You may come down to the altar if you would like, but getting no salvation is not an emotional experience or walking down an aisle. But it's believing the gospel. It's believing what Jesus did for us, that he died for us, that he was buried, that he rose again. You know, maybe you had doubts in your life. You know the disciples had doubts. Mary did not even understand at the time. Then she saw. She had to have faith. She believed that was who he said he was. Jesus said, If you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. So if you do not know Jesus as your own Savior and you want to make today the day, you come to the altar, you can come to that just what you're doing. Let me know. Take you to that room, show you from the Word of God that I have a clear understanding that Jesus is the Savior. How you can have eternal life by faith. Or talk with me after services. I think one thing all of us, you're already a believer, already a Christian. This would be a better evangelist. To be more confident, bold. And sharing the gospel. And telling others what Jesus has done for you. You see Mary Magdalene, where Jesus told her to go and tell others, she went and gave the message. And we're to continue that message, spreading it around the world, supporting missionaries that are able to go to places that we're unable to go to. All day and their family preach the gospel. Just gonna have a time of silence as the music continues to play. Just spend some time. Strangers, the message of hope, 
There was at one point where Mary Magdalene had no idea who you were. But then when she made you, her life was changed forevermore. May people see that life difference in their life. As we see with Mary Magdalene's life, she did not adopt a mindset of just, I'll just live my faith out and be silent about my faith. But instead, she lived out her faith and she went and told others about it. Told others that you were risen indeed. May we continue that. In Jesus' name, amen. This Wednesday, we do have our um, midweek Bible study at 6 o'clock, and 